about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more more be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Good evening, folks. Uh, let me add my welcome to Matt's. My name's Andrew Errington. I'm the senior minister here. And if you're joining us this evening, you're coming right at the end of a series on Philippians. Um, and we're, we're in the last section of that, and we move on next week. Matt will be beginning a, a short series on the fatherhood of God. So I hope you can join us for that. It should be, I'm sure it'll be excellent. Uh, let's, let's dive into this passage, though. The passage is printed along with the sermon outline in the sheets you got on the way in. From the time my family moved to Sydney when I was eight or nine years old, uh, we attended a medium-sized Anglican church, not unlike this one, uh, though in a different part of Sydney. Once a year or so, we celebrated that most uncomfortable of liturgical practices, the awkward money sermon. With visible discomfort but steeled by inner conviction, the minister would climb into the pulpit, much like this pulpit, but it was kind of at the front and we used it. Um, He would climb into the pulpit and shoulder this burden that had been placed upon him of trying to eke out a little more cash from the recalcitrant parishioners. It was undignified. As a teenager, I found it a little cringy. And so we come to the last sermon in this series on Philippians chapter 4, and it is my turn. Paul discusses the Philippians' financial partnership with him in his ministry, and do you know what? It's really awkward. 
It's really awkward. Paul does the delicate dance of the money sermon like a seasoned professional. Now, have a look at verses 11 and 17 if you don't believe me. You know, he's kind of saying, I'm not quite saying this, but I am saying this, but not like that. I am kind of saying this. Ah, you see what I'm trying to say? Do you know what, though? All this awkwardness, all this dancing is for a really good reason. There is actually a deep logic to what Paul says here that if we can, if we can bother to get into will really help us understand how church works. For what we discover is that money and giving in church life works according to a really different economy to the one we're used to. And if we can get that, I think it can change the way we think about money in church. Rather than making us feel awkward, talking about money in church can become a blessing, a joy even. So I'm not going to avoid the awkwardness this evening. I'm going to lean right into it. There are three things in this passage that show us this different economy that is at work. Three really interesting things. The first is, as much attention is given to what it takes to receive well as is given to giving. There's attention given to receiving as well as giving. The second thing is that Paul quite genuinely does not want them to give just for his sake. And the third thing is that Paul grounds everything he says in a confidence in the infinite wealth of God. Let me take you through those one by one. That's the outline of this sermon. First, one of, the, one of the things that happens in this passage is that Paul pays as much attention, perhaps more attention, to re- receiving as well as giving. Did you notice that in verse 15, he calls what he's talking about, quote, the matter of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. Isn't that interesting? It makes a difference, doesn't it, that when we talk about money in church, we have to talk not just about the responsibility of giving, but also the the responsibility involved in receiving. We have to talk about the spiritual disciplines required to receive gifts well. Now, watch how this comes out in the passage. We'll start at verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Uh, Paul begins by saying he rejoices in their renewed concern. Now, we'll come back to this, but the background, which we know actually mainly from later in this passage, is that this letter, the letter of Philippians, was sent in response to that church sending material help to Paul in prison through this messenger, Epaphroditus. We've met him previously uh, in, in the letter. If, if Go and have a look back if you want to. So Epaphroditus brought some material help to Paul, and Paul sent the letter of Philippians back. That's the background. But before Paul says anything more about this, he straight away goes on to speak about himself and his situation. And here's where he starts to kind of dance a bit. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I don't think Paul meant anything too mysterious when he talks about the secret of being content. I think he basically means he's learned by practice something of how to be content in very different circumstances by relying on God. And so he can write genuinely that he's not just saying he's glad about their gift because he needed it. That's not the only reason he's saying that. We'll say more about that and the reason Paul gives for them to give in a minute. For now, I just want to notice the way Paul pays deliberate attention to. And he takes quite a lot of time to talk to them about how he has received their gifts and and where he is at spiritually. Now, part of this is as an example to them, I think, but part of it is also to, to show them something. I think he's being very careful here. Right, He refuses to talk about himself as entitled to their generosity or entitled to be satisfied. He, he shows them that he too is walking a path of discipleship. He is learning contentment. He has to learn to receive gifts well and to be content with what he has. He explains how he knows that he is in God's hands and that he is secure in that place. He also refuses greed and he refuses to seek more than what he needs. Have a look down at verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul makes a real point of saying that he, he has enough, more than enough actually. And he makes a point of noticing the significance of their generosity and giving thanks for it. We'll come back to that again in a moment. Friends, what Paul's words show us here is that receiving well is a spiritual responsibility as well. Churches and almost all Christian ministry are built on generosity. This church, for example, does not have big endowments that it pays, it draws on to pay its staff and maintain its buildings. Um, There is not some big fund in head office that pays for this church. Not all of you will know this. Every time I talk about this, because different churches do things different ways, but this church relies month to month on the generosity of its members to to pay for things. And that requires things of those who give. It also requires things of those who receive. For there are spiritual dangers in being a recipient. There is the risk of anxiety and frustration because your income is precarious. There is the risk of wanting to get more than enough as a safeguard for the future. And most of all, there are risks of failing to give thanks for what has been given, however great or small and of losing sight of the spiritual needs of those who are giving out of concern for your own well-being. My job as the rector of this church, and the job of all those who are paid by and depend upon your generosity, our job is to not lose sight of you, and where you are at, and what you need, and what is good for you 
because we are preoccupied with money. The same goes for those like our mission partners, those who, de- who also depend, they depend on our gifts to them. We have to receive well, which means constantly t- reminding ourselves of what a privilege it is to be supported in gospel work by the generosity of others and being patient and calm through the ups and downs, through periods of uncertainty and periods of ease. This can be a real challenge, especially for the partners and families of paid ministers. Speaking personally, I've really noticed the change from last year to this. Last year, I worked at a a medium-sized tertiary institution, and I had a salary generated from the income of that institution. This year, I am much more directly a recipient of generosity. I need to work at the discipline of receiving well. So let me say publicly and on behalf, for myself and on behalf of all the church staff, thank you for your generous support. Thank you for giving us enough, more than enough. What a joy it is to be cared for in this way. And let me say that we who receive will keep working at receiving well, at learning contentment, at giving thanks, and at focusing on your good. That's the first thing I think is really interesting in this passage, the way Paul pays attention to the spiritual responsibilities of receiving as well as giving. The second thing, though, does turn our focus onto giving. And the second interesting thing is the way Paul genuinely believes, he genuinely believes that giving will be good for the Philippians. Verse 17 brings it out most clearly. Have a look there. Not that I desire your gifts... What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Again, it's a delicate dance. I'm not just after your money, he is at pains to say. It's not that he just desires their gift. What he desires is their good that comes through their giving. That more be credited to your account, he says. Now that phrase is a bit tricky, isn't it? Uh, The Greek of that phrase is more literally, I desire the fruit that multiplies to your account. From our perspective, it's a pretty badly mixed metaphor. I mean, who wants fruit on their account? But the terms actually are all used in financial talk in Paul's day. It's it's kind of a reasonably okay way to speak about gain and interest. And what he is saying is that He genuinely believes that their giving, their partnership, will have benefits for them. It will be good for them. They will gain from giving in this way. How will they gain? In what way is giving good for those who give? This is dangerous territory. Because all over the world, there are people who enrich themselves by saying to others, often especially to poor people, that if they give to God, God will give back more to them. It's often called a prosperity gospel. It is a gross evil. But is Paul saying basically the same thing here? No, he isn't. 
Because elsewhere in the passage, he clearly implies what this credit to their account involves, and it is not the kind of thing that is going to help you rip people off. First, in verse 10, as we saw before, he speaks of their gifts as concern for him. And then in verse 14, he says that it was good of you to share in my troubles. And the word for share there is the same partnership word we've seen all throughout Philippians. Philippians is really a letter about sharing in the gospel, partnership in the gospel, in this great thing that God has done in the Lord Jesus. Now, these phrases, concern for me and sharing in my troubles, they're really interesting because what they show us is that what the Philippians' generosity has bought them is partnership. Their material assistance of Paul has given them a special concern for him. It's given them thought about him and sharing with him even in his troubles. And you know what? That is the fruit that multiplies to their account. That is what they get out of giving. They get the opportunity to share with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. We don't give to ministry and to Christian mission in order to reap material rewards. We give to it to share in the work, to become team members in the work. But that doesn't mean we get nothing out of it. No, what we get, what we get is the joy of partnership. We get the joy, the blessing of sharing with people in this wonderful work. When you give to someone or to some work, you buy in, you buy concern and attention and partnership. We all, we all know that, I think, when we support things. And that is a blessing. I know when Lauren, my wife Lauren and I give to something, we are immediately more focused on what is going on and what happens. And that is often itself a, a blessing to us. But that's not all Paul says. In verse 18, he also describes the Philippians' generosity in extraordinary terms. We read the first half before, but let me finish that verse. I've received full payment, writes Paul, and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Christians don't get to talk about offering sacrifices very much. Protestant Christians are especially allergic to it. And that's because we know that Christ offered on the cross the one perfect, sufficient sacrifice for sin, so that there is no longer any need to offer other sacrifices. But Paul is not talking about sacrifices for sins here. He is talking about sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, ways of giving special praise to God. And that, he says, is what the Philippians' material generosity was. It was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What an extraordinary thing to say. What an extraordinary thing to be able to do. Do you see, friends, that we have the privilege of being able to offer 
sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to God. We can give at cost to ourselves, and it can please God. Do be careful. We cannot make ourselves right with God like this. Only Jesus' blood can deal with our sins. Do not for a second, do not for a microsecond, think you can obtain forgiveness by giving money. That is not how it works. And if that's what you're thinking, this church absolutely does not want your money. But in the knowledge that there is forgiveness of sins in Christ and that we have been reconciled to God by His grace through faith in Him, in that knowledge of what He has done and that He has set us free and we have forgiveness, in that knowledge there is also the freedom to praise Him and to give sacrifices of thanksgiving. And I'm not kidding... That is what your money can become. And all of this is why Paul can genuinely say that it is not that I desire your gifts, but I desire that more be credited to your account. He's not at all saying that giving is a route to getting rich, but he is saying that giving will be a blessing to them because it can give them the joy of gospel partnership and it can be a fragrant offering to God. What a privilege we have before us. There's one last interesting thing, though, that I want to observe in this passage, and it is that everything Paul says is built on a basic conviction that we are in the hands of a God of infinite wealth. We see it most clearly in verse 19. It's kind of behind the scenes, but pops up like the tip of an iceberg there in verse 19. And my God, writes Paul, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Just pause on that phrase, will you? The riches of his glory. It's a very deliberate phrase. Paul wants the Philippians to see that behind them, underneath them, stands the God who is infinitely wealthy. They are in his hands. Now, it is not, of course, that God just owns a lot, though he does, and sometimes the Bible says it, like in that psalm we read. Um, you may, I hope you caught it on the way, way through, where God says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every bird in the mountains, or even the insects of the fields he knows, and they belong to him. But it's much deeper than that. Paul's point is that God is rich in himself. His own life and being are glorious. He is deeply, ultimately valuable and desirable. God is true wealth. God has an inexhaustible wealth of majesty and splendor that makes all human wealth utterly worthless. And that glory overflows constantly in care for his people. He will supply all your needs, says Paul. Our heavenly Father looks after his children. There is no shortage, no scarcity. 
When Lauren and I decided to go to Scotland to study about seven years ago uh, for me to do research, it was our first real experience of not quite knowing how we were going to afford it. But almost immediately, it was also our first real experience of God's surprising care and provision. Only days after we'd made the decision, when I was frantically looking around for supplementary scholarships, an old friend who I hadn't spoken to in ages rang and said, Andrew, I've heard you're going to do a theology PhD. I'd like to support you financially. Since then, when people ask me about money in church life, I often say that I'm not too worried because my father is very rich. Uh, this, some, this unsettles people uh, if they don't get it or if they don't know that my father died many years ago. But this is the truth. This is the truth we must sink more and more deeply into, friends. Our God, our Father, is spectacularly rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and infinitely more. For He is a glorious God, with a glory that surpasses imagining. With Him is an infinity of wealth, an endlessness of value, He does not promise us riches or comfort or ease, not at all, because he desires more for us than just that we have a comfortable life. But he does promise to care for his children, to lead them through, sometimes with sufferings just like Paul had, and to give them the privilege, the extraordinary privilege of sharing in his work in the work of the gospel and of joining, our, of joining our own praise to the splendor of his glory. I began by talking about the awkward money sermon. And sometimes talking about money is awkward. That's life. I find it a bit awkward. But fundamentally, it's not a burden to talk about money. It's a blessing. For when we talk about money, we get to be reminded of some, ex- some wonderful truths. And most of all, we get to be reminded of the God on whom we are all, in the end, totally dependent. I said before that this year I went from having a salary to being a recipient of generosity. And that's true, but it is also true that deep down, all of us are always already only recipients of generosity. For everything we are and have, we owe to God's infinite wealth. And we have it only as a gift. What do we have that he did not give us? What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. We are utterly and completely recipients of his generosity, and this God of infinite wealth and splendor continues to give. And he gives you and I the privilege and joy of joining in faith, in partnership, in his work. He puts in our hands sacrifices with which to praise him. Friends, what a privilege it is to be able to give to the work of the gospel and share in partnership For myself, I thank God for the privilege of being a recipient of that and of the privilege of sharing in it myself.
Don't you miss out on this wonderful opportunity. I say that quite genuinely. Don't miss out on it. Give. Give to this church and to our mission partners and to many other things with real joy and grateful hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, your splendor goes on forever. You are rich, not merely with money or possessions, which so often are corrupted and problematic in our lives, and yet all things are yours. But more than that, you are rich in glory. In you is the source of all that is truly good and true and worthy. We praise you. With you, we have all things. Without you, we have nothing truly valuable. Out of the riches of your glory, Lord, pour out upon us a spirit of concern for the work of the gospel and give us generous hearts to support it. Make us people who receive your gifts with thankful hearts and who give in love. Save us from the corruptions of greed and fearfulness. Provide for those who are in need. And lead us all evermore towards your majesty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we are called into this joyful service and give you thanks. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.